Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of The Skin Reel. This week, I am really excited to have a fellow Mohs and procedural dermatologist on with me, Dr. Brittany Bulog. And she's going to be sharing with us everything you need to know about peptides because they are getting a lot of news in the media. I know my patients are asking about them, and I can't wait to discuss this further. Dr. Bulog, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Mina, for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, let's just get right into it. What are peptides for people who maybe haven't heard about these? Great question. As you mentioned, these are really exploding in the cosmetics and cosmeceutical sphere. And so I think getting a better idea of what they are, how they work, if they're right for you, will be a great thing for your audience. So peptides in the most basic sense are just really small proteins. By definition, they have to be less than 50 amino acids large. And peptides can be naturally occurring in the body, or they can be synthetically applied topically or even injected. So commonly known peptides could be Botox or human growth hormone, the new Ozempic. But there are a lot of skincare peptides that are now being used to alter the signs of aging. So peptides either naturally occurring or synthetically applied really are released from cells. And their main goal is to change the function and behavior of other cells. And they're usually categorized into four main buckets. So the first one would be a signal peptide. And these types of ingredients stimulate cells to increase production of something. So make more collagen or make more hyaluronic acid or glucosaminoglycans, kind of the substance that makes your skin softer and more supple. Or they can be enzyme inhibiting peptides. And these are the ones that like to get called Botox in a bottle. And that's probably a very strong description of what they can do. But their main function is to change the way that your nerves communicate with muscles so that you don't make as many expressions, i.e. how Botox works. Then there are carrier proteins or peptides. And these are ingredients that are very uncommon in skincare products. So probably not something that we'll talk about in this podcast. And then the last group of peptides are enzyme inhibiting peptides. So for instance, your collagen in your body right now is always in a constant state of flux. 
So your body's making collagen, it's breaking collagen down. And the enzymes that are responsible for breaking collagen down can sometimes be targeted by peptides so that they don't function as well so that your body keeps more of its collagen that it's made. So peptides kind of in the lowest sense really are released from cells or applied to change the behavior and function of other cells in your body. Give me more of that peptide that's going to prevent collagen breakdown, (laughs) right? Yes, exactly. We want to build it up and then not have it go away. Absolutely. Well, relating to skincare, what's most common? Are these peptides something that we apply topically on our skin or is it something that we inject or take a pill? What are you seeing as the most beneficial for our patients with skin concerns? So obviously one of the most beneficial peptides is going to be Botox if you're looking for reducing fine lines and wrinkles. But that is an injected peptide and peptides in the skincare industry are really being applied topically or can be used after a minor procedure like at-home microneedling or a slightly more major procedure such as in-office microneedling or ablative or fractionated ablative types of laser procedures. So when that skin barrier is broken, some of these peptides can be applied to enhance wound healing, reduce inflammation, and stimulate collagen production. So the main source of peptides that we're not injecting as Botox really are being applied in skincare products. And how do you know if your skincare product has a peptide in it? Is it going to say or do you have to specifically buy something with peptides? So because peptides are getting really hot, a lot of the marketing is surrounding using peptide in the name. So if you search on Sephora, you're going to find hundreds of products that say peptide in them. And often if you look in the ingredients list, you're going to see pentapeptide 7 or tripeptide 3. You're going to actually see peptide in that name in the ingredient list, and you will most likely see it in the name of the product itself. I feel like marketers definitely know this is a buzzword, and they are going to put that loud and clear on the bottle. They want you to know they've got peptides in there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I was a marketer, I would put it everywhere. Usually in the ingredients list, they're going to be listed as something peptide with a number following it. But there are two more brand name peptides. One is called Matrixyl 3000 and the other is called Argyrolene that you might see those names instead of their peptide with number counterpart afterwards. And those have just been branded peptides that have a little bit more research behind their efficacy. Well, speaking of that, because on this podcast, I really like to have data-backed and scientifically driven information for the audience. So is this just hype or does it really work? Do these peptides really work and provide benefit? I think the true answer is somewhere in the middle. So there are studies done on the individual peptides and many of the studies, unfortunately, are industry sponsored. So what that means is, let's say I have a brand and it's called Dr. Brittany and Dr. Mina Skincare. And I want to show that the peptides in my eye cream are beneficial. I'm going to conduct a study in a way that I think I'm going to show that after four weeks of use, my eye cream significantly reduces crow's feet or lines around the eyes. And when I publish this paper, I'm going to use photos of the best looking subject or the best patient who had the biggest result and then publish those in a journal. So when these industry-sponsored studies are published, they usually show pretty good results. So for example, Matrixyl 3000, 
which is a peptide that stimulates collagen production. It's actually composed of two different peptides, palmitoyl tripeptide 1 and palmitoyl tetrapeptide 7. It's going to show that these have about a 30 to 40% improvement in wrinkle density, depth, and about a 20% improvement in skin suppleness or bounciness. And those numbers usually come right from the manufacturer. So they're highly incentivized to make sure that they look really good. They want to sell a product. And so I think if you're looking at product-sponsored or industry-sponsored studies looking at the efficacy and you see maybe a 30 to 40% improvement in wrinkles, you can probably expect to have a smaller actual improvement than what they're publishing or posting on their website. So you want to try and see that there is some data-driven efficacy, but I'm always a little bit skeptical as to the studies that are published by the manufacturer of the branded ingredient itself. Absolutely. You have to sort of take it with a grain of salt, right? Yes, they saw some improvement, but you do need to know who's funding the study. What was the placebo group using? Were they using anything, nothing? And then the other thing that makes sometimes teasing out what ingredient in skincare is really giving you the biggest bang for the buck is that a lot of these products are sort of mixed all together. These peptide topical formulations probably have hyaluronic acid and some other maybe actives in there. And so sometimes it can be hard to know, well, what's really causing the benefit or are they all helping out a little bit? So to your point, yeah, take it with a grain of salt, do your research, but yes, there is data out there. And I bet we'll start to see a lot more non-industry sponsored research as peptides become more commonplace in the mainstream, don't you think? Oh, completely agreed. And I think a lot of the research is also going to how you can use topically applied products to enhance the effects of maybe in-office procedures. So I could definitely see some peptide products being applied after laser resurfacing, for instance, to see how it reduces downtime, enhances the collagen building results from those procedures. So I think we're going to see more in the literature. And once that happens, then we can really translate that to what it means at the bedside with our patients and how we can get them the best results for skin improvement and anti-aging goals. I think where peptides really can have a important role is after these in-office procedures that we know are stimulating collagen or increasing cell turnover. And I would love to be able to tell my patients, yes, your downtime is going to be cut in half by using these peptides that help with wound healing and your results are going to be even better by using these peptides. So I think that's a really cool area and I'm looking forward to using these on my patients and just kind of seeing if we can get improvement, greater results and shorter downtime. But yeah, if you just think using this one cream is going to magically cure you of normal aging processes and bad sun habits and diet and stuff like that, I think you're going to be disappointed. Uh, again, just be aware of what a cream can do and then what some of the limitations are. I think when considering what skincare products I want to put on my own face or what I recommend to friends, family, patients, you do want to kind of have a risk reward matrix in your head and in your mind. And with peptides, the nice thing about them is that they are typically non-irritating. If patients or folks who apply these do get irritation with a new peptide eye cream, for instance, because I think they're most commonly used in periorbital formulations. The nice thing is if you do get irritation, it's probably not from the peptide. It's probably from 
uh, fragrance in that eye cream or some other ingredient in the formula. So in terms of risks of using them, really the biggest risk is probably to your pocketbook. And if you are somebody who gets a 10, 15, 20% improvement in the appearance of your crow's feet, maybe that $30 peptide cream prevented you from a $400 Botox procedure or a $4,000 for a full face resurfacing or something like that. So in terms of risk reward, they can be used on pretty much anybody. They're safe in pregnancy and they really have no potential downside other than just being expensive and potentially ineffective. So if you're somebody who really wants to maximize your skincare routine, I would say a peptide may be a good option for you. But if you are somebody who's very minimalistic, you want to do the highest yield skincare ingredients on your face, we're probably going to be talking more about retinoids, vitamin C, vitamin C derivatives, things like that to deliver anti-aging benefits rather than peptides. I think they're a great addition if you feel like you have the disposable income to use them, but probably not going to be one of the biggest main tools that you're using in your anti-aging armamentarium. I'm a skin minimalist, so I keep it really simple with my topicals. That being said, everyone's different on what they want to do or what they're willing to do with aesthetics. For some people, injectables are a hard no, and this might be a great product for someone looking to improve their collagen in a non-procedural way versus someone like me who I just like to keep it really, really simple with my products just because I'm lazy. I suppose, but and also really sticking with a few key ingredients. And I don't know if we're there yet with peptides, but again, I definitely think it's a really cool product to possibly use after lasers, resurfacing procedures, things like that, or really any, I do a lot of most surgery like you do too, perhaps after with scar healing, right after surgery. So I think they have a lot of roles. And well, I certainly am a fan of the injectable peptide, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, me here, guilty as charged. One peptide that does have some evidence as to its collagen modulating abilities, as well as ability to reduce inflammation is copper tripeptide. And the benefit of this one is that it's a small enough peptide that it's less than those 500 kilodaltons, which is kind of that size cutoff that the superficial layer of the skin, the stratum corneum, allows to pass through it. And so it does have some evidence to show that it can reduce the size of collagen bundles inside thicker scars and can increase the size of normal collagen fibers in kind of surrounding skin. So it kind of evens out the size of collagen fibers and the anti-inflammatory properties of it too may be a great adjunctive therapy for post-procedure. Again, whether that's having a skin cancer removed and the face reconstructed or having an ablative laser performed, that might be something that could be used postoperatively to enhance the cosmetic and functional outcome if you're somebody who's prone to developing more thick or hypertrophic scars or even keloids. Probably, again, not going to be a monotherapy. It's not going to be a one-and-done kind of thing. But if you are somebody whose quality of life or even function is being significantly impaired, and you're somebody who wants to do everything that you can, this could, again, be another tool that could be employed to improve outcomes. I would love more options for these thicker scars or my patients who have these large keloids from mm -hmm. a bug bite or an ear piercing and to have something other than Kenalog or steroid injection or radiation, it would be great to have another option for these patients. So 
I think there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out about peptides and they're natural for someone who really wants to keep it natural. This is a really great option for them. You had mentioned earlier about price point. What do these typically range? You said $30, but I imagine they can get pretty pricey too. (laughs) Yeah. So it really depends on the brand. And one of the hard parts about this is that you might get what you pay for or you might not. Because a lot of the problem with peptide formulation, if you're putting peptides in a cream, you can't just put a powder peptide, mix it in a lotion, put it on your face and and expect it to do something. As we alluded to previously, your skin is really great at keeping things that it encounters out. You don't want to absorb everything that you touch into your skin. And so peptides typically, with the exception of the copper tripeptide, are too large or heavy to get through the stratum corneum, the outer layer of the skin. And they're charged, meaning they've got hydrogen groups on them. But again, it's kind of like oil and water that they don't permeate through too easily through that hydrophobic layer. And so there has to be a lot of chemical modification done to the peptides. And the formula has to be thoughtfully curated to ensure that these are not just sitting on top of the skin and doing nothing, but actually are getting to the location where they need to be most active. As a consumer, it's really hard to know if the product that you've purchased is going to be able to do that. So for example, I have no conflicts of interest. I don't get paid by any of these companies. These are just personal products I've purchased and tried or received from companies, but you could spend over $250 on a cream by Elastin, for example. And they do their own research that shows that their peptide creams do enhance wound healing, reduce wrinkles. So they do provide you a little bit of insurance with that over $250 price tag for a 30-day supply of their product. And then there's another brand that you could get at Ulta or Target that has some of the same ingredients in it that could retail for $12 to $30. So we're talking a tenth of the price of that elastin, but you don't get that insurance policy of their own studies showing that on humans like you and me, that this does actually work to reduce fine lines and wrinkles or build collagen or reduce inflammation. And so sometimes it's really hard to know if the product that you've invested in is actually going to work for you. And again, the studies are usually showing their best results and you might not get a result that looks like the patient included in that publication photos. So one thing that I sometimes recommend doing is just taking a monthly photo of yourself in the same lighting, same angle, no makeup, and just see if it's doing anything for you. And if you feel like there is an objective change in the appearance appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, scars, whatever, then great. Maybe it's something you want to continue to spend your money on. If you are the kind of person who needs that insurance policy that what you're investing in is going to work, maybe you want to consider a more expensive product that has done that research into the efficacy of their product. But you're also paying for marketing, branding, labeling. There's a lot that you're not getting with that money versus a smaller brand that maybe does not have the budget or the infrastructure to conduct clinical trials to show that their product does work. And again, there's so little transparency in, you know, for example, Matrixel in the studies used by the manufacturer, they used a 3% solution. And our gyrolene, which is kind of the touted Botox in a bottle, used either a 10 or 15% solution in their studies. These ingredients in the products that you're buying at Target or on through a physician dispensed um, line, don't give the concentrations of the peptides or active ingredients, or they very rarely do, I should say. So from a consumer standpoint, there's so little transparency, it's hard to know what you're getting. 
I personally, and again, this is just kind of my own bias, is to start with something kind of middle of the road. Because, you know, they're probably maybe using better ingredients, but you're not paying for the large amounts of marketing and branding and reps that are going out to different offices to do in-office dispensing. So I try and go with something that's a little middle of the road priced because then I hope that I'm getting quality ingredients, but still not paying for the extra name recognition. So maybe around like the 30 to $50 range for a product would probably be a good start. But I do own peptide eye creams and face moisturizers that are $12 to $20. And I do tend to run the gamut in terms of price that I'm willing to invest. But I think in general, moderately priced is usually pretty good. We on this podcast talk a lot about how you don't need to spend a ton of money on your skincare products, that more money doesn't always mean better. Correct. What it means is that they have really good marketing and they've probably done some of their own internal studies. So you're paying for that with the product. So especially if you're just starting out, try a mid-range product, see if you even like it and notice a difference before considering investing in more expensive products. But then at the same time, if you feel like it's working, you don't need to go and spend a couple hundred dollars. You can stick with the $12 one. Correct. Now, Dr. Bielog, you know, listeners and uh, people watching are going to want to know what is the $12 eye cream you're using? <laughs> Well, I like the Naturium brand and I will, in disclosure, they did send me some of their products for free. I've never been paid by the brand, but I like the Naturium line. I have their face moisturizer as well as the eye cream and it runs for around $20 or less. You can get it at Target. So it's really easily accessible. I also have a Blue Mercury brand M61 that I purchased all on my own and I've almost completely used up that eye cream. But for me, it's a personal preference. They have very similar ingredients. I like the texture and consistency of the M61 eye cream a lot, which is why I continue to use it. And that's another thing to consider with skincare is if you don't like it, you're not going to use it. And that's one of the biggest things I tell patients with sunscreen even. As a skin cancer surgeon, all of my patients ask me what sunscreen they should be using. And I tell them I don't care. As long as you like it, you'll use it and SPF 50 or above usually. So it's the same thing with a topically applied peptide product or any sort of anti-aging product. You have to find a formula that you like. If you have more oily skin, you don't want an oil-based formula that you feel like is just going to melt off your face. And so I tend to have more dry, sensitive skin and the Naturium and the M61 just works well for me. And I enjoy the texture and I enjoy using it. I do have really dry eyelids and I am prone to getting eyelid dermatitis. So I am a little pickier in terms of fragrances and things like that. So those are my probably top two at the moment, but I do like to try new things with different textures so that I can be a little better informed because I get a ton of questions about what recommendations I have for products. Absolutely. And it's so hard. It's such a personal decision because what you like on your skin may feel too heavy on mine and also depends on where you live. I live in a very humid place. You live in a place that's much drier. So. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of factors play into it. Just what works best for me isn't necessarily going to work best for someone else. So take it again with a grain of salt, try different things, test them out, see what you like, see what feels good. And yeah, great advice with the sunscreen too. There's no perfect sunscreen for everyone. So use what makes sense that with your budget and that you will put on because if you don't like how it feels, no matter how good it may work, you're not going to use it. Another thing to consider when deciding if a peptide product is worth it for you is the duration of action. So there's this whole line of peptides 
Syncol, Lufazel, or Gyrolene. They are touted often as Botox in a bottle. And they do tend to work temporarily. So these are neurotransmitting inhibiting peptides. So they have the same kind of mechanism of action as Botox, but they're applied topically. And I think a lot of the marketing makes you think, oh, you can apply this cream. It'll look like you had Botox and you'll never need to get injections. Really, you can expect maybe a 10 to 15% reduction in the appearance of wrinkles, but it's temporary because once that cream kind of wears off or it's not applied anymore, it's not going to be inhibiting those nerves from communicating with your muscles to contract and move and make expressions and emote. So these Botox in a bottle products are usually quite expensive, but know that their effects are really only temporary. They don't promote collagen building over the long term. It's really just a short temporary reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. And so if you want to apply those for an event, that's great, but you will probably be paying more of a premium for those. And I do think that a lot of that is marketing and these needles no more and Botox in a bottle types of products. Of course, I find that people after having Botox, they're skin just looks really glowy and beautiful. I'm sure you've seen that too. So I know people are looking at how do we even apply Botox topically so you can still have the movement in your, you can still emote, you can still raise your eyebrows and have expression. I haven't used the Botox in a bottle type of peptides, those neurotransmitter inhibiting peptides extensively because I do get Botox injections. And so I don't feel like I really need them. But Botox injections do, I mean, they're peptides too. They do reduce the size and the appearance of pores. They reduce how much you sweat. They smooth everything out. So you don't get those little textures that can change the way that light reflects off of your skin. So I'm just not knowledgeable about any data looking at any outcomes other than wrinkle depth, wrinkle density, or skin hydration. Those do tend to improve skin hydration, probably more the vehicle than the active ingredient. But I don't think that you're going to get the same just overall skin texture change in addition to the wrinkle changes that you would get with the injected. Botox peptides. I know people are definitely looking into it, but at least for now, we're <laughs> we're not there yet. Now, you've been talking a lot about Matrixel 3000. Would you say that's your kind of go-to for someone who's listening and maybe wants to start incorporating a peptide? Is that the one they should maybe go for first or look for? Yes, I think so. If your goal is to build collagen and reduce kind of fine lines and wrinkles more over time rather than just a temporary solution, Matrixel 3000, it is patented. It's like I said, a combination of those two peptides. And it seems to have the most data behind its use. And because it is one of those branded kind of names, I think it's really great for marketing too. So more skincare brands are using it in their products. So I think it's also easier to find. If you search Matrixel on Sephora or Ulta or Target, you're going to get multiple hits of products to try. So I think if you're looking to research a peptide product for you, searching for Matrixel is going to give you a really great gateway into some options because it is so commonly included and one of the most common peptides in skincare products. When do you recommend people incorporate this in their day-to-day skincare regimen? Is this something you put on in the morning, at night? Where does it go with sunscreen or vitamin C, vitamin A with other actives people may be using? So great question. Layering skincare is really challenging. You have four things you want to put on your face. How do you decide 
what to put on first. I usually tell people that the thing that you put on your clean, freshly washed face is usually going to be soaking in the best. And that's where you want to put your most desirable products. So if you have prescription acne treatments, for instance, you want to put those right on your face after washing it. So there's no barrier to the absorption of those ingredients. So in terms of peptides, I think they're most helpful around the eye area. And so personally, when I use them or when I recommend somebody uses them, it's usually twice a day. Most studies investigated twice a day application. Some studies investigated once a day application, but the majority were twice a day for either four or 12 weeks. And so I use them twice a day as well to try and get the biggest benefit from that investment. So I'll usually wash my face. I wear a vitamin C or an antioxidant serum. Every morning studies show that it enhances the SPF of your sunscreen, prevents DNA damage from ultraviolet radiation. We know sunscreen isn't perfect. It's not 100% efficacious at absorbing or reflecting UV rays. So I put vitamin C on first, and then I'll use an eye cream, usually containing some peptides around the periocular skin. And then I'll put sunscreen on as the last thing that I do. I'm usually a two or three step skincare routine girl. I do like to mix it up, but I'm not somebody who does a a 12 step skincare routine. I don't know who has time for that. Certainly not me when I'm trying to rush up the door to get to clinic. So in the morning, I'll usually do vitamin C, eye cream, sunscreen. Occasionally, I'll add in a moisturizer if it's really dry in the desert. And then in the evening, I'll usually use some sort of pigment treating product because I do. My Italian heritage in me makes me quite prone to post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So I'll use some sort of pigment targeting product, whether it is azelaic acid or niacinamide or arbutin to try and fade some post-acne marks that I get or sunspots that I get. And then I'll put a peptide eye cream on again around the eyes. And then I'll follow with a moisturizer again if I'm extra dry. I'll also use a retinoid too some nights. My skin is so sensitive, I can't use them every night. So I really do mix up my active ingredients that I choose in the evening. But again, it's usually one active, an eye cream, and then a moisturizer if I feel like I additionally need it. That's great to kind of walk the listeners through what you actually use and and the steps, because I know sometimes it can be confusing. Like, well, where does this extra step go? Where does it go? And I think you did a great job highlighting that it actually can still be very simple and minimalistic. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I know most of our colleagues and dermatologists, we keep it simple like this, right? We are not layering on product after product after product, but we're being very selective in what we use and where we place it. And of course, sun protection all day, every day, right? Yes. And reapplied. Yeah. I think creating a really intentional skincare routine for your particular goals is going to be the best thing. It's got to be easy. It's got to be manageable. It's got to be evidence-based and scientific but it's got to be something that you can do. So peptides might fit into that. Perhaps they don't. But I think if you're somebody who's looking for maximizing anti-aging benefits, using them around the eyes is probably going to be the biggest, you know, the skin is so thin there. So you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck from using peptides probably most around your eyes. And I love that you mentioned this earlier. It's pretty safe for really everyone, right? We didn't talk about this specifically, but all skin types can use this. It's not like it's only safe in one skin type and not others. And it's, a, I would think, a great option for someone who's pregnant who maybe can't use the injectable peptides like Botox, right, during that time and may feel also can't use their vitamin A cream and may feel like, what can I do for my skin? I think being able to use a peptide could be a great way to still take care of your skin in a safe way. And that it's pretty well tolerated. I know vitamin C 
serums sometimes can be irritating. Vitamin A serums can be irritating to some people, but it's nice to know that peptides, hey, probably not the peptide itself that's irritating. If, if it is irritating your skin, maybe check out what the other ingredients are that you actually may be reacting more with those other fragrances or preservatives that are in there as well. Yes, absolutely. Kind of no risk. Again, other than just a financial investment, but really good for any skin type, any state in your life. So something worth trying if you're more of a skincare maximalist, or if you really do want to try and minimize fine lines and wrinkles as much as possible. Great advice. And I know I've learned a lot about peptides myself, <laughs> Dr. Bulog. If you could send our listeners out with maybe your top three pearls for someone thinking about peptides and what they should consider and do. Absolutely. So the most common peptides used in the skincare industry are designed to grow collagen or prevent your muscles from contracting so that you have a reduced appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. They tend to work best around the eyes because the skin is so thin there and the ingredients can penetrate a little bit more deeply to give you kind of the, the biggest bang for your butt. They're safe to use in any skin type, any stage in your life, safe in pregnancy, breastfeeding, but they're not going to have much effect on pigmentation or other signs of aging, really just used for wrinkle reduction for the main part. Price point is usually a prohibitive barrier for people to try in peptides. So maybe don't go with the $300 cream, start kind of middle of the road price point if you are considering adding this in addition to your skincare routine that you normally have. I know our listeners are going to want to follow you and learn more about some of the great stuff you're doing and the great content you're putting out on social media. So where can our listeners find you and follow you? Oh, sure. I'm most active on Instagram. I also have a TikTok page as well. But my handle for both is Brit the Skin MD, and you can find me at either platform at that username. Awesome. I love it. And I will include that in the show notes so everyone knows where to find you. And it has been a pleasure having you on, Dr. Bulog. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Mina. This was fun. All right. We'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.